Chapter Eighteen of the Italian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tina Dan. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. Chapter Eighteen. Call up the spirit of the ocean. Bid him raise the storm. The waves begin to heave, to curl, to foam. The white surges run far upon the darkening waters, and mighty sounds of strife are heard. Wrapped in the midnight of the clouds sits terror, meditating woe. Her doubtful form appears and sades like the shadow of death when he mingles with the gloom of the sepulchre and broods in lonely silence. Her spirits are abroad, they do her bidding. Hark to the shriek, the echoes of the shore have heard. Elena, meanwhile, when she had been carried from the chapel of San Sebastian, was placed upon a horse in waiting, and guarded by the two men who had seized her, commenced a journey, which continued with little interruption during two nights and days. She had no means of judging whither she was going, and listened in vain expectation for the feet of horses and the voice of Evaldi, who she had been told was following on the same road. The steps of travellers seldom broke upon the silence of these regions, and during the journey she was met only by some market people passing to a neighbouring town, or now and then by the vine-dressers or labourers in the olive-grounds, and she descended upon the vast plains of Apulia, still ignorant of her situation. An encampment, not of warriors, but of shepherds who were leading their flocks to the mountains of Abruzzo, enlivened a small tract of these levels, which were shadowed on the north and east by the mountainous ridge of the Garganus, stretching from the Apennine far into the Adriatic. The appearance of the shepherds was nearly as wild and savage as that of the men who conducted Elena, but their pastoral instruments of flageolets and tabors spoke of more civilized feelings as they sounded sweetly over the desert. Her guards rested and refreshed themselves with goat's milk, barley cakes, and almonds, and the manners of these shepherds, like those she had formerly met with on the mountains, proved to be more hospitable than their air had indicated. After Elena had quitted this pastoral camp, no vestige of a human residence appeared for several leagues, except here and there the towers of a decayed fortress perched upon the lofty acclivities she was approaching and half concealed in the woods. The evening of the second day was drawing on, when her guards drew near the forest which she had long observed in the distance, spreading over the many rising steeps of the Garganus. They entered by a track, a road it could not be called, which led among oaks and gigantic chestnuts, apparently the growth of centuries, and so thickly interwoven that their branches formed a canopy which seldom admitted the sky. The gloom which they threw around, and the thickets of cistus, juniper, and lenticus, which flourished beneath the shade, gave a character of fearful wildness to the scene. Having reached an eminence where the trees were more thinly scattered, Elena perceived the forest spreading on all sides among hills and valleys, and descending towards the Adriatic, which bounded the distance in front. The coast, bending into a bay, was rocky and bold. Lofty pinnacles, wooded to their summits, rose over the shores and cliffs of naked marble of such gigantic proportions that they were awful even at a distance, obtruded themselves far into the waves, breasting their eternal fury. Beyond the margin of the coast, as far as the eye could reach, appeared pointed mountains darkened with forests rising ridge over ridge in many successions elena as she surveyed this wild scenery felt as if she was going into eternal banishment from society she was tranquil but it was with the quietness of exhausted grief 
not of resignation, and she looked back upon the past and awaited the future with a kind of outbreathed despair. She had traveled for some miles through the forest, her guards only now and then uttering to each other a question or an observation concerning the changes which had taken place in the bordering scenery since they last passed it, when night began to close in upon them. Elena perceived her approach to the sea, only by the murmurs of its surge upon the rocky coast, till having reached an eminence, which was, however, no more than the base of two woody mountains that towered closely over it, she saw dimly its grey surface spreading in the bay below. She now ventured to ask how much further she was to go, and whether she was to be taken on board one of the little vessels apparently fishing smacks that she could just discern at anchor. "'You have not far to go now,' replied one of the guards surlily. "'You will soon be at the end of your journey, and at rest.' They descended to the shore, and presently came to a lonely dwelling, which stood so near the margin of the sea as almost to be washed by the waves. No light appeared at any of the lattices, and from the silence that reigned within, it seemed to be uninhabited. The guard had probably reason to know otherwise, for they halted at the door and shouted with all their strength. No voice, however, answered to their call, and while they persevered in efforts to rouse the inhabitants, Elena anxiously examined the building as exactly as the twilight would permit. It was of an ancient and peculiar structure, and though scarcely important enough for a mansion, had evidently never been designed for the residence of peasants. The walls of unhewn marble were high and strengthened by the bastions, and the edifice had turreted corners, which with the porch in front and the sloping roof, were falling fast into numerous symptoms of decay. The whole building, with its dark windows and soundless avenues, had an air strikingly forlorn and solitary. A high wall surrounded the small court in which it stood, and probably had once served as a defense to the dwelling, but the gates, which should have closed against intruders, could no longer perform their office. One of the folds had dropped from its fastenings and lay on the ground almost concealed in a deep bed of weeds, and the other creaked on its hinges to every blast, at each swing seeming ready to follow the fate of its companion. The repeated calls of the guard were at length answered by a rough voice from within. When the door of the porch was lazily unbarred and opened by a man whose visage was so misery-struck that Elena could not look upon it with indifference, though wrapped in misery of her own. The lamp he held threw a gleam athwart it and shewed the gaunt ferocity of famine to which the shadow of his hollow eyes added a terrific wildness. Elena shrunk while she gazed. She had never before seen villainy and suffering so strongly pictured on the same face, and she observed him with a degree of thrilling curiosity, which for a moment excluded from her mind all consciousness of the evils to be apprehended from him. It was evident that this house had not been built for his reception, and she conjectured that he was the servant of some cruel agent of the Marquesa de Vivaldi. From the porch she followed into an old hall, ruinous and destitute of any kind of furniture, it was not extensive but lofty, for it seemed to ascend to the roof of the edifice, and the chambers above opened around it into a quarter. Some half-sullen salutations were exchanged between the guard and the stranger, whom they called Spalatro, as they passed into a chamber where it appeared that he had been sleeping on a mattress laid in a corner. All the other furniture of the place were two or three broken chairs and a table. He eyed Elena with a shrewd contracted brow, and then looked significantly at the guard, but was silent till he desired them all to sit down, 
adding that he would dress some fish for supper. Elena discovered that this man was the master of the place. It appeared also that he was the only inhabitant, and when the guards soon after informed her their journey concluded here, her worst apprehensions were confirmed. The efforts she made to sustain her spirits were no longer successful. It seemed that she was brought hither by ruffians to a lonely house on the seashore, inhabited by a man who had a villain engraved in every line of his face to be the victim of inexorable pride and an insatiable desire of revenge. After considering these circumstances, and the words which had just told her she was to go no further, conviction struck like lightning upon her heart, and believing she was brought hither to be assassinated, horror chilled all her frame, and her senses forsook her. On recovering she found herself surrounded by the guard and the stranger, and she would have supplicated for their pity, but that she feared to exasperate them by betraying her suspicions. She complained of fatigue, and requested to be shown to her room. The men looked upon one another, hesitated, and then asked her to partake of the fish that was preparing. But Elena, having declined the invitation with as good a grace as she could assume, they consented that she should withdraw. Splatro, taking the lamp, lighted her across the hall to the corridor above, where he opened the door of a chamber in which he said she was to sleep. "'Where is my bed?' said the afflicted Elena, fearfully as she looked round. "'It is there, on the floor.' replied Spilatro, pointing to a miserable mattress over which hung the tattered curtains of what had once been a canopy. "'If you want the lamp,' he added, "'I will leave it and come for it in a minute or two. "'Will you not let me have a lamp for the night?' she said in a supplicating and timid voice. "'For the night?' said the man gruffly. "'What, to set fire to the house?' Elena still entreated that he would allow her the comfort of a light." "'Aye, aye,' replied Spilatro, with a look she could not comprehend. "'It would be a great comfort to you, truly. You do not know what you ask.' "'What is it that you mean?' said Elena eagerly. "'I conjure you in the name of our holy church to tell me.' Spilatro stepped suddenly back and looked upon her with surprise, but without speaking. "'Have mercy on me,' said Elena, greatly alarmed by his manner. "'I am friendless and without help.' "'What do you fear?' said the man, recovering himself, and then, without waiting her reply, added, "'Is it such an unmerciful deed to take away a lamp?' Elena, who again feared to betray the extent of her suspicions, only replied that it would be merciful to leave it, for that her spirits were low and she required light to cheer them in a new abode. "'We do not stand upon such conceits here,' replied Spilatro. "'We have other matters to mind.' "'Besides, it's the only lamp in the house, "'and the company below are in darkness "'while I am losing time here. "'I will leave it for two minutes and no more.' "'Elena made a sign for him to put down the lamp, "'and when he left the room "'she heard the door barred upon her. "'She employed these two minutes "'in examining the chamber "'and the possibility it might afford of an escape. "'It was a large apartment, "'unfurnished and unswept of the cobwebs of many years.' The only door she discovered was the one by which she had entered, and the only window a lattice which was grated. Such preparation for preventing escape seemed to hint how much there might be to escape from. Having examined the chamber without finding a single circumstance to encourage hope, tried the strength of the bars which she could not shake, and sought in vain for an inside fastening to her door, she placed the lamp beside it and awaited the return of Spilatro. In a few moments he came, and offered her a cup of four wine with a slice of bread, 
which being somewhat soothed by this attention she did not think proper to reject spilatra then quitted the room and the door was again barred left once more alone she tried to overcome apprehension by prayer and after offering up her vespers with a fervent heart she became more confiding and composed but it was impossible that she could so far forget the dangers of her situation as to seek sleep however wearied she might be while the door of her room remained unsecured against the intrusion of the ruffians below and as she had no means of fastening it she determined to watch during the whole night thus left to solitude and darkness she seated herself upon the mattress to await the return of morning and was soon lost in sad reflection every minute occurrence of the past day and of the conduct of her guards moved in review before her judgment and combining these with the circumstances of her present situation scarcely a doubt as to the fate designed for her remained it seemed highly improbable that the marquesa de vivaldi had sent her hither merely for imprisonment since she might have confined her in a convent with much less trouble and still more so when elena considered the character of the marquesa such as she had already experienced it the appearance of this house and of the man who inhabited it with the circumstance of no woman being found residing here each and all of these signified that she was brought hither not for long imprisonment but for death her utmost efforts for fortitude or resignation could not overcome the cold tremblings the sickness of heart the faintness and universal horror that assailed her how often with tears of mingled terror and grief did she call upon vivaldi vivaldi alas far distant to save her how often exclaim in agony that she should never never see him more she was spared however the horror of believing that he was an inhabitant of the inquisition having detected the imposition which had been practised towards herself and that she was neither on the way to the holy office nor conducted by persons belonging to it she concluded that the whole affair of vivaldi's arrest had been planned by the marquesa merely as a pretence for confining him till she should be placed beyond the reach of his assistance she hoped therefore that he had only been sent to some private residence belonging to his family and that when her fate was decided he would be released and she be the only victim this was the sole consideration that afforded any degree of assuagement to her sufferings the people below sat till a late hour she listened often to their distant voices as they were distinguishable in the pauses of the surge that broke loud and hollow on the shore and every time the creaking hinges of their room door moved apprehended they were coming to her at length it appeared they had left the apartment or had fallen asleep there for a profound stillness reigned whenever the murmur of the waves sunk doubt did not long deceive her for while she yet listened she distinguished footsteps ascending to the corridor she heard them approach her chamber and stop at the door she heard also the low whisperings of their voices as they seemed consulting on what was to be done and she scarcely ventured to draw breath while she intensely attended to them not a word however distinctly reached her till as one of them was departing another called out in a half whisper it is below on the table in my girdle make haste the man came back and said something in a lower voice to which the other replied she sleeps or elena was deceived by the hissing consonants of some other words he then descended the stairs and in a few minutes she perceived his comrade also pass away from the door she listened to his retreating steps till the roaring of the sea was alone heard in their stead elena's terrors were relieved only for a moment considering the import of the words it appeared that the man who had descended was gone for the stiletto of the other such an instrument being usually worn in the girdle and from the assurance she sleeps he seemed to fear that his words had been overheard and she listened again for their steps 
but they came no more. Happily for Elena's peace, she knew not that her chamber had a door, so contrived as to open without sound, by which assassins might enter unsuspectedly at any hour of the night. Believing that the inhabitants of this house had now retired to rest, her hopes and her spirits began to revive. But she was yet sleepless and watchful. She measured the chamber with unequal steps, often starting as the old boards shook and groaned where she passed, and often pausing to listen whether all was yet still in the corridor. The gleam, which a rising moon threw between the bars of her window, now began to show many shadowy objects in the chamber, which she did not recollect to have observed while the lamp was there. More than once she fancied she saw something glide along towards the place where the mattress was laid, and almost congealed with terror she stood still to watch it. But the illusion, if such it was, disappeared where the moonlight faded, and even her fears could not give shape to it beyond. Had she not known that her chamber door remained strongly barred, she would have believed this was an assassin stealing to the bed where it might be supposed she slept. Even now the thought occurred to her, and vague as it was, had power to strike an anguish almost steadily through her heart, while she considered that her immediate situation was nearly as perilous as the one she had imaged. Again she listened, and scarcely dared to breathe, but not the lightest sound occurred in the pauses of the waves, and she believed herself convinced that no person except herself was in the room. That she was deceived in this belief appeared from her unwillingness to approach the mattress while it was yet involved in shade. Unable to overcome her reluctance, she took her station at the window, till the strengthening rays should allow a clearer view of the chamber, and in some degree restore her confidence, and she watched the scene without as it gradually became visible. The moon, rising over the ocean, showed its restless surface spreading to the wide horizon, and the waves, which broke in foam upon the rocky beach below, retiring in long white lines far upon the waters. She listened to their measured and solemn sound, and somewhat soothed by the solitary grandeur of the view, remained at the lattice till the moon had risen high into the heavens, and even till morning began to dawn upon the sea, in purple the eastern clouds. Reassured by the light that now pervaded her room, she returned to the mattress, where anxiety at length yielded to her weariness, and she obtained a short repose. End of chapter 18